And if you have your Bibles, you did not miss the scripture reading. I'm going to be tackling the scripture reading during the, the message. So if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn, we're coming from the book of Haggai. And if you do not know where that is, you might do best to just kind of go to Matthew and then go backwards. Because the truth is, is it's not easy to find. It's a very, very short and small book, but it has a lot of powerful things to say. We're going to be talking today about hidden treasures, lessons from the minor prophets. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, your cell phones, whatever it is, and we're going to look at those passages from the book of Haggai as we go throughout the message today. All right. So um, I'm looking here, maybe you are looking as well, over here at this list, there are 12 different books of the Bible that are all considered and called minor prophets. These are some of the books that probably, you, you've probably heard John 3.16. You probably can quote from the book of Romans. You've heard stuff from the book of Revelation. But more than likely, these 12 books are books that you rarely, if ever, have really heard preached from or things that you probably have never really heard about what they are doing as far as what we can learn from them. They're things that we think of just simply applying to Israel back in the day. And the truth is, is that they have a lot of things to say about our modern world. And so today, kind of in between our Easter, uh, you know, teaching series and the end of our, the journey teaching series that we ended last week, I want to talk today about some hidden treasures from God's word. They're listed in the minor prophets. And if you don't know, back uh, in, you know, Jewish times, they actually grouped all of these together. They called this the Book of the Twelve. Because if you looked at Isaiah, there were, you know, 50, 60 chapters in the Book of Isaiah. He's what's called a major prophet. And these men had very much shorter books. For example, the Book of Jonah is actually four chapters. You've heard the story, but there's only four chapters in the entire Book of Jonah rather than 60, you know, plus or whatever. So you've got. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, you know, Daniel, as well as uh, Isaiah that are all considered major prophets, but you have what is called the minor prophets. And today I'm going to go from that book of Haggai. So it actually goes Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Yes, I had to learn that as a preacher's kid when I was a little kid. All right. So yeah, I remembered it. There it is, Haggai. So if you're seeing any of those names listed on your Bible or your Bible app, I guess you're cheating on your Bible app, aren't you? Because it goes straight to where you want it to go, right? Okay, so we're going to talk today from this book of Haggai that will be, I think, a blessing to you. And as we do, I want to share a lot of the background of it because if you're like me, you probably rarely, if ever, hear sermons about this and you wonder why is it included? I think once you begin to hear some of the things that Haggai has to say, that he spoke to the nation of Israel in his time, you will recognize there's a lot that was going on in Haggai's day that is still going on in our day, and it still applies because the Word of God never dies. So let's check it out. Let's go to our next slide here, and this is something to learn. And by the way, y'all notice there is not just one something to learn, it is some things to learn because I've got a lot to cover because likely 
you don't know as much about the book of Haggai as you need to if you're going to fully grasp all that it says. The Babylonians conquered Jerusalem. They took its people captive. You can think about Daniel and Jeremiah. You remember how Daniel was in the lion's den and how they had to be forced to bow down to the, uh, the huge statue. All of those things were going on in the Babylonian captivity. And so you can think of Jeremiah who warned that it was coming or Daniel who he and his friends went through it. But the Babylonians conquered Israel and took them captive. They destroyed Solomon's temple which was there for the worship of God. Okay? You guys all with me so far? Okay. I may ask this a couple times because I got a lot of info that I'm sharing with you. But after many years, the Medo-Persian Empire, and you can think Esther. You guys remember just a little while back, we shared the story of Esther and how she was there with the Medes and the Persian Empire. And so if you look and kind of see how one empire gets conquered by another, it happens all the time. Shelly and I went to the, um, went to the uh, uh, Museum of Natural Science, and we saw the Ramses the Great thing. Have you guys seen the billboards for that? Uh, you've seen some of that at the Museum of Natural Science? You go and see that, and you see, man, one king flowed to another, to another, to another, and one world power flowed to another, to another, to another. This is still the way that it goes. I mean, we're talking about political intrigue and praying for those in Ukraine even today. This is how it goes. The Babylonians were the, the big dog on the block, and then out of nowhere, this little kingdom that had two parts, some Persian and some from the Medes, they banded together and then they went and took over the world empire. They became the most powerful in all the world. And they allowed the Israelites and the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. And that happened specifically in the year 538 BC. And so there were about, well, let's go to the next slide here. About 50,000 exiles that went back to Jerusalem and they decided to rebuild the temple. And after approximately two years of construction, the foundation of that temple that had been completely destroyed was built. But then opposition and complacency set in. In other words, they started, they got to where the foundation and people started getting frustrated, people started getting aggravated, and people started getting worried that this building of the temple meant something else. And so there's a bunch of opposition. We shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't let these Jews do these things. And so the Jews started listening and they said, there's opposition, so we're just going to stop. And so they stopped. And then when they stopped, they started finding reasons to not start again. Y'all see where I'm going with this and how this connects? You see what I'm saying? In our world, we've been on pause. In the same way, the book of Haggai talks about he's calling God's people to get off pause and start moving forward with God's plan and his directive again. If you guys are with me, give me a thumbs up. Y'all with me? Okay, so some of you guys are. All right, very good. <laughs> Rest of y'all, y'all need to get a little more sleep on Saturday. Come on now. I'm kidding. All right, so then opposition arises, complacency sets in, and everything grinds to a halt. That halt stretches from months into years and years into decades. God's people on pause for more than a decade. Let's keep going. Let's go to our next slide. And here is what I want to say. I shared this a ton whenever we were talking about the journey. We talked about how we are called to live our lives by a compass and not a clock. 
We should know what our true north is. And if we are not very, very careful, we find ourselves becoming people who say, well, I, I'd love to do those things for God. I'd love to be closer to God. I'd love to fill in the blank for God, but I'm just so, you guys know the B word that I'm about to use, right? We're so busy. We're so busy because here's the problem for us. It's just like them and just like us. If we don't find a way to put God at the top of the list, then God always gets kicked down towards the bottom of the list, a lot further down than we say that we want. So we got to be very, very careful to live our lives by a compass and not just simply a clock. Let's go to our next slide as we go. to the, This brings us to the big idea. And don't get too excited, all right? Because I know sometimes y'all are like, big idea, he's got 10 more. No, hold on, just relax, okay? This is the big idea, but got a little bit more time after this. But you guys know, I share this once or twice, and then I have you guys join me. So get ready. We prioritize God and we gain peace and profit in all areas of our lives. That's how it is. That is how it is. And we're going to talk about how Haggai had some words to say to the people and say to them, hey, the way that things have been is not the way that we want them to continue. We've got to prioritize God and then we gain these other things in the process. So here's the big idea. You prioritize God, you gain peace, and you profit in all areas of your life. Would you guys say this aloud with me? Ready? One, two, three. Prioritize God and you gain peace and you profit in all areas of your life. So true. Now, I want to talk about how this was true in the book of Haggai and how it's true for us today. And I think you'll grasp and kind of see it. If you were to see this one more thing, something to learn here, I want to share it with you. It's only two chapters long. That's why if you're looking in a book, if you're looking in an actual hard copy, that it is difficult to find. But only two chapters long, Haggai is one of the shortest books. But his message is only delivered over a four-month period. His prophetic ministry takes, time, uh, takes place in the time of the return of the exiles, just like Zacharias did. His prophecy was in 520 BC, and the completion of the temple all the way to the very end was four years later. So Haggai was a success as a prophet because he shared the word of God and that the people responded to the word of God the way that God intended and wanted them to do. We're going to talk a little bit about how that looks and what goes on there. But if you were to learn different lessons, I have three that I want to share with you. Three lessons from the book of Haggai that you and I can learn in 2022 in the same way that they were important in 520 BC, as long ago as that possibly was. So let's go to our next slide. Check this out. Haggai's lesson number one, always prioritize God because it is easy to lose our focus on him and replace it with focus on us. Always prioritize God. It's easy to lose our focus on him and replace it with focus on us. All right, so I know you guys are thinking to yourself, Randy, this isn't cool. You get to go up there. You get to talk about all these terrible things that we don't do when we should be doing them. Hey, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw myself under the bus right here and right now. I actually used to work out. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, hey, look up here. Look up here. Don't look down here. I say this behind the pulpit today. I actually was pretty good about staying with the gym thing up until my mid-40s. Now, that 
to me was pretty good. I felt pretty good about that. But then somewhere along the line, I stopped and I never said to myself, you know what, Randy, what would be great for your health is for you to stop working out. That would be great. I never said that. And I never said, you know, I'm not going to go to the gym and I'm never going back. I'd never said that either. Now, can I get an amen? I, I, know, it's, I know it's just me, but have any of y'all ever, did y'all hear in the pandemic, they said, okay, it's official. It's true. I have all the time in the world. This is at the very beginning of the pandemic. I literally have all the time in the world. I have nowhere to go and I still won't work out. It's official. I'm never going to work out ever again, right? This is how it was. Here's the truth. I never said those things, but all of those things have happened. Why? Because human nature set in, right? We never tell ourselves, this is going to rule me and control me. This is going to ruin my life. <laughs> and I'm here for it. No, we never say that. None of us ever say, this is going to ruin my reputation and undo every bit of legacy that I ever had that I had going for me. No, we never say those things, but they still happen, don't they? Why do they still happen? Because it is easy to lose our focus on what's really important in our life, namely God, and it's real easy to replace it with focus on me and what I want in this moment. You guys understand what I'm saying? In this moment, this is what I want to do. But that, that old saying that I've shared with you a hundred different times, the, the, the best way to get a, a crooked man and a crooked river is to follow the path of least resistance, right? I mean, this is true in every possible way. And so for me, it's important to be reminded, hey, Randy, you put this as your priority and your first place, you're not going to like where you go. So you got to make sure that you're constantly being reminded of the things that are most important and let that be your true north. Haggai's lesson number one, you've always got to prioritize God because it's really easy to make me the center of focus. And when that happens, all the other stuff starts falling apart. If you've ever been there, in at least one of these examples that I've just used about how you let priorities get out of whack. Can I hear an amen? Can just make sure y'all are with me? Amen. Okay. So let's go to our next slide very quickly. This, if you were to look at a passage of scripture from the book of Haggai and you were to say, this is kind of the theme verse, the thesis verse of it all. This is it. Haggai chapter one, verses two and three. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. But then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. And this is what he said on this next slide. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Can I just be honest? This is us. This is all of us, where we think of what we need, not what God wants, where we think of what we want, not what God has commanded. And this is where we get off, where our life feels like it's a meandering course instead of a true north purpose driven life. It's a big difference, but we do not push through in that moment where we say, I'm not going to give in to myself on the things that I don't want to do. Because eventually, if I keep doing them, then I become something I don't want to become. I'm going to say that one more time. 
if I keep giving in to myself on these things that I know I shouldn't do, then eventually I will become what I know I do not want to, what? Become. This is not me coming at you. This is me speaking for all of us. You know it. I know it. You've done it. I've done it. This is where we find ourselves as human beings. So we got to be very, very careful. What are they saying? Uh, you know, eventually it's going to happen, but it's not yet time for us to rebuild the house of the Lord. And the Lord's like, oh, really? I noticed that the houses that have all of your attention is not my house, but it is your own houses. So I guess it's time for you to have the perfect house, perfectly complete, and just as you hope for it to be. And yet in my house, it's an embarrassment because it's nothing but a foundation with nothing on it. And it's been like that for more than a decade. So I guess the time probably just will never come. Pretty rough. Right? I mean, God is saying, hey, when do I get to be first place? You say that you worship me. When do I get to be first? In your heart and in your mind and in your decisions and in the way that you choose to live your life? When are you going to be willing to make a sacrifice of you so that I might be honored? Tough question. Remember how I said a lot of things going on in Haggai sound a lot like 2022? Can I get an amen? I mean, this is real life business in 2022 where people honor themselves first and God second if it's easy. I didn't get an amen on that. I, I, guess, I guess I didn't really expect one. No, I should have expected one because I know y'all are God's people. Y'all love the Lord. But we all need to be reminded that priorities get shifted and excuses get accepted, and suddenly we look around and we're not following true north, we're following the path of least resistance. Let's go on in our next slide here. And as we see here, this is something to learn, and you might be thinking, Randy, you forgot and put the wrong, you, you forgot and put the wrong thing, the wrong slide on the back. No, I didn't forget, this is exactly what I know it was from. This is from the journey. He mentioned this, um, Dr. David Jeremiah mentioned this, and he said, when the word priority came out into the English language in the 1400s, it was always in the singular. It meant prior, what came before and what was important. But in the 1900s, it became a plural thing. In other words, before the 1900s, they knew that you could only have one priority. In the 1900s, we decided, well, you can have a bunch of priorities. Just arrange them the correct way. But how many of you have ever tried to keep priorities, plur or plural, and realize that it's almost impossible because you've got to figure out which one's first, right? Isn't that right? You've got to figure out which one is first. And you guys probably have heard the lie that you need to make your kids the priority. That's a great way to hurt your marriage. You might think you make your wife or your husband the priority. That's a great way to get yourself off in a ditch because you're worried about what they think instead of doing what is right. You see, it's no matter what you choose, it is always wrong until you decide that you will make God and God alone the priority. And can I tell you something? I have tried to be a great husband and a great father. 
I've even tried to be a great pastor and left God somewhere second or third place on that list. And can I tell you, it never works. It never works. But here's the weirdest possible thing. That if I will put God as the top priority, I become a good husband and I become a better father and I become a better pastor. I become a better man. I become a better friend. I become a better son than I become a better brother. I mean, the list is long, but it all happens when only one thing is the priority, not a priority, but the priority, right? The priority has to be God because truth be told, you can only have one. And even in Jesus's words, he said, you know what? Only we cannot serve but one master. Man cannot serve two masters. He will love the one and hate the other or he will cling to the one and then despise the other. You cannot serve God. And the word is mammon, but it basically means the system of this world Riches and society and their values and all that stuff. You cannot serve God and this world. It just can't be done. So, if you want your priority, singular, to be the right one and gain foothold on all of these other things that you actually value, seek first his kingdom and all of these things are going to be added to you as well. All of these other things that you care about begin to be added to you if you seek first the kingdom. All right, let's keep moving here very quickly. So important here, Peter Drucker has this quote, show me your calendar and your checkbook and I'll tell you what is really important in your life. Very true. I also want to share with you from the book of Haggai something that is really, really important. Haggai talks and he goes back and forth in this questioning style. And in Haggai chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Here is what the Lord asks of the priests. So the Lord Almighty asks, ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or some stew or some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest said, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. So I'm going to ask Eddie to do something for me real quick. Eddie, come over here for me for just a quick second. Okay, Eddie, just stand right there. Get your hand up like this, like right there. Okay, now here's what's going to happen. No comment about him being stronger, stouter, younger, and cooler than me. Agreed? Amen? I'm going to pull him up here, or he's going to pull me down there. We're going to go on the count of three, and we're going to see who wins. Okay? You guys ready? All right. Here we go. Ready? One. Hold on. Eddie's like, I'm winning this thing. He's like, I'm ready. So y'all already know what's going to happen, right? Why? Because I've got a lot more to pull to get him up here than he does. I'm not talking about the pull here, okay? Focus with me. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, Haggai was saying, hold, hold just a second, please. The priest, he asked the priest, he said, is it easy to become defiled? Yes. Is it easy to become clean? No. Do you see what he's saying? Is it easy to get off the path? Can I get an amen? 
Is it hard to find the path once you've gotten off the path? Amen? So what he's saying in Haggai is he's saying, the priests know this, you know this, it's a much easier thing to become defiled than it is to be pulled up to clean. Man, you know what I wish? I wish that broccoli tasted like birthday cake, right? You know, because it's easy to stay on the diet if broccoli tastes like birthday cake. But you know what actually does your body good is usually the thing that you crave the least. And the thing that does your body harm is usually the thing that you crave the most. So when he asks the priest, is it easier to become clean or defiled? The priests are very clear. We already know it's easy to become defiled and pulled down. Hard to be pulled up into that version where you are clean in God's sight. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Y'all, y'all, were y'all waiting? Y'all were like, we want to see Pastor Randy take a tumble. (laughs) Y'all need to pray. Y'all need some Jesus. It is harder to be pure than it is to be unholy. And it's harder to live a great life than it is to live a mediocre or a bad one. It's harder to make good decisions than it is to make, you know, easy, bad, difficult, horrible decisions. Like, it all becomes so difficult for us. That's why we have God. That's why we have God. You're like, man, you're talking about so much stuff. That's why it's not about keeping that weight above our heads with our own strength. It is about the spirit which lives in us that changes us from the inside out where I start wanting and craving those things which bring positive into my life, into the lives of my wife and my kids and my church and my community and all of these things cease to be about me and it becomes more and more about God. That's what we want. That's what we need and it's what is very, very difficult to find Haggai knew it, and the people that he was speaking to knew it as well because they were living it. Lesson number two in Haggai is this. You prioritize God, you gain profit as he blesses the work of your hands, and you keep more of it in your hands. I met a girl, and I talked to her, and she said, I just moved here from um, California. She said, I just took a job here in Houston because I just moved from San Francisco, California. I said, oh, okay, that's great. And as we talked a little more, she said, I get paid 60% of what I paid, what I got paid when I lived in San Francisco, California. I said, really? She said, yeah, it's pretty weird to leave a job where you know you're gonna get paid 60% of what your current salary is and you leave anyway. I said, well, why did you leave anyway? She said, because I started doing the math. She did the math, and she told me, she said, I've got a bigger place, I pay less in rent, she said, I've got a better quality of life, food is cheaper, groceries are cheaper, on and on and on down the line, and she said, I'm getting by better and living on 60% than I was living on 100%. If you guys know this about California, can I hear an amen, (laughs) right? All right, so, right, did I get political? Maybe a little, I don't know. We just love Texas the way Texas is. That's all I'm saying. Well, here's what I know. By the way, if you're from California, you're welcome here. 
Let's just keep it Texas. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so what is going on? You actually gain profit if you keep more of what you've worked for in your hands. Here's what's powerful about what God says through the prophet Haggai to the Jews that were living in Jerusalem that came back. Here's what he said to them. Let's go to our next slide. We can't miss this. We become rich not by what we earn. We become rich by what we keep. Would you guys agree with that? Or what we keep. Okay, so let's go to our next slide. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted a lot. You harvested a little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. And then we go on. You put on clothes, but you're still not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse that has holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Powerful words twice spoken by God to his people. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, here's what I want to share with you. For us, we need to be reminded that we need to give careful thought to our ways. If you wanted any... (laughs) If you wanted any proof that you and I don't need to be at the head of the table when it comes to how we are living our life and prioritizing our life, the last two years, we have been given carte blanche to worry about me, mine, and my first and above all other things. And usually that's where it ends and stops, period, end of discussion. It's not about others. It's about me my and mine. Now let me ask you another question. How's that been working for us? Do we have a better world? Do we have people who are happier? Do we have people who are saying, this is what I love. I want this to remain forever. No. Forget the masks and all that stuff, even with or without masks. We don't want this to continue. We want it to go back to the way that it used to be. Amen? The way that it used to be is is that you and I didn't have carte blanche to make ourselves the head of the table. Give careful thought to your ways. He's telling us twice, and I love it when God is good with somebody like me who doesn't always understand exactly what to pay attention to. The ADD kicks in. I'm like, there's a lot here. And then he says it twice. And I'm like, I probably need to say that is important because he says it twice. Give careful thought to your ways. He says a little more. He says, all of these things that you thought you had on lockdown, you ain't got it on lockdown, do you? Give careful thought to your ways. You see what he's saying? Here's what he's saying. And I told you Haggai is on this same boat that we are on. It's a different time in a different world and a different set of circumstances, but it is the same thing that we are dealing with because human nature does not change. He says to us, give careful thought to your ways. You've been busting your tail, trying your best to make a dollar, and you're giving more of it away. You're keeping less than you ever had. And you do these things and you think it's going to bring you satisfaction. You put on a jacket and you're still not warm. You have all that you want to eat, all you can eat, and you still are not full. And man, talk about a sermon series when everything you ever wanted is in your possession and yet you still aren't happy. 
man, signed 2022. We got more than we've ever had in our lives, and we're still not satisfied. Give careful thought to your ways. Don't miss this. We do not become rich by what we earn. We become rich by what we keep, and especially what we keep forever. In other words, like at the end of It's a Wonderful Life, where the man who's having all the financial problems, sorry, spoiler alert, it's from the 40s, but I'm just saying, all right, spoiler alert, if you haven't ever watched it, you should watch it, best Christmas movie ever, I'll fight you on that, change my mind. Um, Here's what I would say, here's what I would say, the man who's having all the financial problems gets declared to be the richest man in town, why? Because of the things that cannot be bought with money. In other words, it's just like MasterCard, it's priceless. All those things that you keep that have nothing to do with money. And when God says, give careful thought to your ways, maybe we as his people ought to shift it up a little bit, change it up a little bit, and realize that maybe we're pursuing the wrong things. Haggai lesson number three, and I'm coming close to to ending here. I'm I'm wrapping it up. We're moving forward here. We got to prioritize God and we gain peace that goes beyond the surface and the outward appearance. This is super interesting because we talked about how there is a foundation of the temple and how it's going to be rebuilt. And it actually gets built in four years after Haggai encourages them. They jump in, they repent, they recommit, they go forward, and they actually do the thing that God asked them to do and that Haggai is encouraging them to do. Here is this something to learn. This next one, as you go, and there's been a lot, I know. Some of the older exiles had seen Solomon's temple and its magnificence. The rebuilt temple was smaller, less glorious, and less ornate. So at the second temple's completion, some shouted for joy, while others wept because it wasn't what they had before. You guys with me? Y'all understand? So it was a, a glorious accomplishment for some, and some were absolutely devastated because God's house wasn't what it used to be. Let's go on to our next slide, and I want you to see something. God asks, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. And let's go on. Be strong, all of you people, for the land, declares the Lord. And work For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. And then he keeps going. He says, I'm going to shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is gold, and or silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. And then the next slide, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Says a lot. Let me share with you what's going on here. Let's go to our next slide. I want you to understand. We'll get here in just one quick second. But let me explain what you just heard. That some are praising God and some are disappointed. It's happening. And God says, Y'all keep working. I'm telling you, this temple will be better than the former temple. Now, stop. 
Solomon's temple was incredibly ornate, crazy big, beautiful in every way. Gold was everywhere. This one was not anywhere close to that and done on a smaller scale. But here's what changes. The temple is the one that has a certain guy from Nazareth that walks in and says, this is my house. And so the glory of the first temple is here. But when Jesus steps in, the glory of this temple supersedes it. It ain't about the structure. It's about who's in it. Are you guys with me? So what is, what is God saying? God is saying, don't get upset and don't get so frustrated about all the things that you see or don't see that you wish you saw. But here's what is most important. Is Jesus there and is he a part of it? And if he is, the thing that every single one of you nations have wanted all this time, this thing that would bring you into right fellowship with God, this thing that would allow you to pursue the God who wants to pursue you, it's all going to happen because of the, this temple that you're building right now because it is the place where Jesus will step in and declare himself to be the Messiah. You guys with me? So it all changes when Jesus walks in. The, the glory is different. Now, here's what I would say. <laughs> it's so important for us to grasp and understand that ultimately in your relationship and my relationship with God, ultimately it is about whether or not we see him at work rather than all the things that we had in our head. All right. <clears throat> True confession. How many of you have had God? Now, I'm, I'm going to strip all the things away. I'm going to strip all the stuff away that sometimes gets done in churches. How many of you have ever had this experience? God, I thought you were going to do this thing, and instead you did this thing, and it disappoints me. Can we be honest? It's happened. It happens. Even good people, even godly people, sometimes have an expectation, and God does something totally different, and we're hurt, disappointed, and discouraged. Now, I don't know if you had that experience. I ain't going to lie. 2020 was like that for me. It was rough. It was hard. It was difficult. I didn't know if this church would still be our church. So I was scared to death. And so I had to come to the place where I said to myself, hey, Randy, whose church is that anyway? <laughs> is that your church? Is that our church or is that his church? And I had to come to the place where I realized that all the things that I've seen and all the things that we have done as a church body, it's always been done by the hand of God and his people. And ultimately, it wasn't mine or even ours, it was his. And so when I came to that place, I was able to wash my hands of it and say, if this is what undoes something, then ultimately 
it was not of God in the first place. But here you are. Back when we saw five and six and seven people, and I'm going to tell you, this that we see is not even what we're going to see. Because God's going to keep walking in, and if he's walking in, so will other people. Amen? And so I had to say, this is not about me. This isn't even about us as much as I love us. It is all about him and what he built spiritually and what he built physically. He built this place physically. I'm telling you, he did. If he built it here physically and he built it here spiritually, he will do it again and he will bring it back. And he will bring it back again because it is not our church, it's not my church, it is his church. And he will do his work. doesn't mean we get a pass It means we roll up our sleeves and we partner with him to be a part of what God is doing. Amen? So don't miss this. Understand that the moment you truly begin to prioritize God, he returns to you. Doesn't mean that you have no consequences, but he promises that he will be with you. I'm going to end this very, very quickly. Let's go to our next slide. In Haggai chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, now listen very closely and notice real closely where the things happen. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord, a message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. And then in 14, so they came together and began the work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their, their God, and on the 24th day of the sixth month. Now, stop for just a second. This is not a trick question. Which one comes first? Them getting to work Or God declaring, I am with you. Which one comes first? God says, I am with you before you even raise a hand to do for him. Don't miss this. Let's go back to that slide if you don't mind, Miss Alicia. The moment you truly begin to prioritize God, he returns to you. There may still be consequences, but he promises that he will be with you. Here's what you need to know. I have no idea what the last couple of years have been like for you spiritually. Even if you told me, I wouldn't know for sure. I didn't walk them with you. You didn't walk them with me. But they've been hard. And God has at times felt like he was very, very distant. But here's what I will tell you. The moment that I recommit myself to be with the Lord, he says, I'm with you. Before you even raise a hand, Randy, I'm with you. Before you do a single thing that I've commanded you to do, if your heart returns in full, then I am with you, and then we will get to work. Do you guys understand? This is the problem for most of us as human beings. I will forgive you when you fill in the blank. I will forgive you if you continue to fill in the blank. But God says, I know your heart. And he knows it, we don't. And so this is part of the thing about being God. But he says, the moment that your heart returns to me, I am with you. Here's what I want to say. Just like he said to those Jews in the book of Haggai, he says it to you Even if you've been wandering, even if you've been drifting, even if you've been far away from me, and even if it's been a lot longer than you ever intended for it to be, the moment that your heart returns fully and you give your heart to God fully once again and say, God, 
I don't have it all figured out, but I'm back on that path and I want to make you the one who is the true north in my life. The minute that that happens, God says, I am with you. Okay, I'm going to jump to the I apply by very quickly, if you don't mind. Here's what I would say that you and I need to decide. Decide that we're going to return to God as our priority and we pray and we begin today. Here's what I mean. In our world, no doubt, we're waiting to see the evidence. We're waiting to see the receipts, as they say. Like, show me that it was real. But God knows your heart. You don't have to have anything other than a heart fully, totally, wholly committed to God and his purpose. But if you will have that, guess who is ready to come running to you? No strings attached. Doesn't mean that the consequences of your actions or your disobedience all go away, but it does mean this, you will not walk alone because God says, I am with you. I'm ending with a prayer, and I'd ask that you join me. Lord, wherever we've been and however far we've gone, you are the God who returns us to the place we need to be. You are the God who loves us unconditionally, not because we've done what is right, but because we have humbled ourselves and begin to once again want to pursue right with our whole heart. And so God, what we're asking is that you would not only help us to see but you would also give us the strength and the courage and the backbone to do in response to that belief that we have. We want you to be glorified and we want ourselves to be crucified. So may you be glorified and may we be crucified and instead your life lives in us. So very quickly with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm asking this question just before we sing our final song. I don't want anyone looking around. I just want to make sure that this is a time for you and I to do business with God. If you know that maybe there's been some drift and you want to return to God because of your heart being once again dedicated, maybe you thought, I'm just going to take a small step away and you looked around and you realized you got lost. I'm just going to be gone for a minute, and you were gone for a whole lot longer than that. Here's what I would say. It is your chance and your opportunity. Can we all just stand right now? And if that is you, do you want to just simply lift your hand as a way of committing to the Lord and saying, yes, that is me, and I am coming back. May God bless you. This is between you and the Lord. May God bless you. May God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless all of you. And may all of us look to our Lord and Savior. Hey, I really, really want to say thank you so much to Jesus and to Karen both. We've got Nain and Kenya who normally are a part of things and unable to be here. But y'all did a great job. Thank you so much for leading us. Can we hear for them? Thank you so much. <clears throat> may God bless you. Thank you so much for your time and for your attention. Don't forget if you have anything that you need to communicate. He's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, which nobody can deny. 
which nobody can deny, which nobody can deny. For he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, which nobody can deny. I feel like we just got hijacked. <laughs> we just got hijacked, Your didn't we? Your face was classic. Oh my gosh. Almost got punked, almost got punked. But uh. um, <laughs> anyway, uh, for the past uh, few years that Holly and I have been going to uh, the church that you helped build with God and everything, um, you've given back to me so many different things. I've learned spiritually, financially, and socially how to manage myself. And I can speak on behalf of everyone in here that they've gotten so much out of this particular place here. And during Hurricane Harvey, you proved to me yet again why this place is more spiritually uh, special than any other church in the whole entire world. I think uh, I'm still trying to envision how you did that commando role, but the fact that you did it during um, one of the worst times in Houston and you opened up these doors to so many people in this community and um, giving back so much with yet so little, it's, it's, um, it moved me so much. And I uh, just wanted to uh, give you this on behalf of everyone else in here in this church. You deserve this more than anything. Um, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for everything you've done for me and my family. And I can speak on everyone else here that also donated to um, uh, this particular special month for you, which is Pastor Appreciation Month. We really appreciate everything that you've done for everyone here. And we can't thank you enough. Thank you, bro. Thank you so much. Uh, the whole he breaks down and cries thing that I do every single time. Just a rewind, hit play again. Man, I love you guys. I, uh, I love you guys. Y'all are my family. We love you guys so much. Thank you. I know you guys know that I have a favorite church member. And, uh, babe, I know you know. I've told you a hundred times that couldn't do anything that we do here at this church without you and I love you and I want you guys to if you would please just give Miss Shelley I know thank you so much baby <clears throat> I know y'all only respect me because she's with me so I get that and I ain't gonna lie I didn't really respect myself until she said yes and then I was like what I guess I've got something going on or I'm fooling people I don't know but anyway guys thank you so much um it is truly a blessing to be your pastor. And, um, you know, Paul, there you go. Oh, you were right behind here, Eric. You know, our, our mission is to be involved in this community. And um, you mentioned Hurricane Harvey. It was, it was in many ways the finest hour um, that I have seen because so many of you pitched in, so many of you came, so many of you served, so many of you helped, so many of you gave. And um, this place had 250 people in here and 63 dogs and four cats and one bird. And so, yes, it was just absolutely Noah's Ark insanity. And yet God was here in this place. And it just reminds us that God is here in this place. Amen. And um, when Shelly and I moved down here with the specific point of starting a church... This is what I'd hoped for. Thank you. Thank you. That's it.
Well, thank, thank you, Pastor Randy. You know, you just kind of closed your sermon with saying something very special, and you acknowledged God's work and His handiwork in this church, and there's no doubt that's true. There's no doubt. I mean, we've seen, I've been working with you for years, and we've seen God do amazing things, not just in this church, but this organization, the organizations around it that are affected by it. But this stuff wouldn't happen if unless somebody answered the call. That's, I mean, you preach that all the time. God works through people not to, to do anything else but to teach them and encourage the people you're teaching to step up when God calls. And you're living that example, man. I mean, every time you feel God moving and stirring, you call me up and you say, Eric, let's do this. Yeah, that's true. And I jump in with both feet, even if it's at the last minute. That's okay. Because there's nothing more that I'd rather do with my life than be an impact for the Lord. And you you make it happen. You listen to God and you devote the time and energy necessary to make it happen. And and this these people you're standing in front of are a testament to the fact that when God tells you your organization that you've got needs to do something in my name. We've got your back. Yeah. We're jumping in your boat with you. Yeah, I know. Whatever you need. Thank you. And so it's not, you know, it's, it, not only is it God moving, not only is it your congregation and, and your church family coming along your side, but it's you answering the call. And that's what we appreciate so much about you. Thank you so much. Um, if you're wondering how we organize this, <laughs> Normally, this is done in October, right? Well, I went away for that weekend. That's right. I was thinking about that. I was like, oh. when, when you literally touch every aspect of this church and what happens on Sunday morning, it's hard to keep anything from you. So <laughs> we took advantage of the one opportunity we had on when I preached, and then we cut the feed, and, and then we had a family meeting. <laughs> and we had to I'm make glad sure. y'all didn't vote me out. That's a good thing. <laughs> So, so the church got together and uh, we took a love offering. Thank you so it's much. It's $2,630. So hopefully you guys can uh, take a little break away from all of this work that you do all the time and uh, spend some quality time together and do something, make it, maybe a trip or something you're saving up for. We, we asked your daughters what we should devote it to, and they really didn't know. I don't think we got a good answer back yet, but uh, I'm sure you will find a place where you and Shelly can spend some quality Thank time. You guys so much. I have a small suggestion. Just a little, just a little of that can go to uh, changing your wardrobe so we can match a little bit more often. <laughs> <laughs> I do need a leopard print shirt with sparkles and bedazzles, absolutely. Yeah. But we keep missing I'm on it. I'm on that. Yeah. yeah. Normally he and I are pretty close aligned, <laughs> yeah. but you need yeah, you need to work on aligning with her better. That's, I know the store. No. <laughs> and and skinny Being tall, pants. I hope. You need some skinny jeans for sure. So. <laughs> Come on, get with the times, Randy. And some holes. You need some holes yeah, in the I, jeans. And uh, then you'll fit in better. Too funny. All right. Too well, funny. well, Randy, we love you. So much. Thanks yeah, for so much. everything you do. Thanks Thank for everything you, you do for this church, for teaching us every single week. Man, it's hard to preach, y'all. And he does it all the time. 
and doesn't complain about it and considers it a privilege, in fact. So, uh, so thank you, Randy, for everything you do. Thank you, church, for organizing this and participating. Thank you all for your love offerings for Pastor Randy. Thanks for making this happen. So um, thank you very much. I don't know if you would like to say any more words, but the fact that we did this after you preached, that's your welcome. Uh, because usually we do it before you preach and it makes it a little more difficult to preach. So, The right. only thing I can say is wow and thank you so much. And also I need like Larry and John and Paul to walk me out because I got a lot of cash. And uh, <laughs> some of these folks, I, I need my guys, like my big guys to help me out. So if you're over like 6'2", then I, I want you to escort me out. No, seriously, love you guys. Thank you so much. See you guys next week, and uh, we just heard God's word. Love you guys.